Now, the word follower of Jesus is often heard, oh, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. Now, a believer in Jesus is someone that says, I agree with the philosophy and the teachings of Jesus. But when we look in scripture, there were a whole bunch of people that believed in Jesus and followed him. Uh, but I think what they were following was the signs, the wonders, the miracle, and the free food. Thousands of them were fed. But when it came to the place where their faith had a cost to it, they fell away. Thousands received from Jesus, but no one was at his funeral. Think about it. Because you see, uh, the word Christian only comes uh, into Scripture three times in the New Testament. But the word disciple, 286 times. And, and you say, what's the difference between someone who believes and someone who's a disciple? Someone who believes, believes in the philosophy and the teachings, but a disciple has the audacity to take the teaching and begin to apply it in their every single day of life. And I want you to know when you begin to apply and live the gospel of Jesus and the practices of Jesus, it is shocking to culture that we are in. And it's not becoming weird and kind of Amish. It becomes very effective in being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and acting like Jesus. And we have, we have spoken through this this diagram, and you will see so much of this in the future, because I believe what the Lord is stirring in us and what we saw during the pandemic uh, was that a lot of believers realized that they were not disciples and their faith was not rooted. And all over the world, many people during the pandemic drifted and they still are not back because the question is, what difference does it make to my life? And I want you to know that that is a very credible question. If Jesus and his word and his way makes no different to your, difference to your life, I want to invite you to the fact that it's a sign that you have not entered the following and the discipling of being a, an apprentice to Jesus. Because the gospel carries the transformation power of the living God. Now, last week, we stopped at this beautiful scripture in the book of Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16. Now, what you see on the screen is the end of it. Jesus looked at his disciples, and he says, you are here to be light, to bring out the God colors in this world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with it, as public as a city on a hill. Then he says, if I make you light bearers, am I going to hide you under a bucket? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to put you on a lampstand for all to see. And, and keeping this in mind, uh, then he said these words, and I want to encourage you to read it with me out loud. Come on, make me happy this morning. He says, keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. In other words, he is, he is saying to us, his disciples, his followers, the way that 
people are going to meet the generous love and the grace of a living God is not through angels. It's going to be through ordinary you, ordinary me that have opened our lives to others. Now, Jesus didn't just tell us to open our lives. He modeled everything that he wants us to become. Because you see, uh, in the Old Testament, a rabbi called disciples, apprentices, and they followed him so closely. They did what he do, did. They do what he did. And they became imitators of their rabbi. That's why Jesus had 12 disciples. And can I tell you something? 12 people. Okay, there was one dud. Okay, 12, 11 of the disciples. But uh, Jesus didn't choose a dud. Somehow, uh, greed came into Judas's heart. And, and I've got to be careful how I say he's a dud because um, I'm a dud. Okay, don't look at me. You're a dud, right? If we're not careful, we're all duddish right now. Um, he was probably a good man. He followed Jesus for three years. Um, so let me apologize to Judas. But out of the 12, the whole world has been trans. We are sitting here because they became authentic followers and practices of the way of Jesus. Now, the way that Jesus modeled to his disciples to open their lives and be generous with their life is through a word called hospitality. Now, hospitality is something that some of you say, I'm in the hospitality industry, restaurants, retail, and you know, you wake up and you serve the client, yeah, whatever they want. You're hospitable, you are warm, but the word hospitality simply means two things. Phileo means brotherly love, and the word xenos means stranger. In other words, hospitality in scripture is the love for stranger. Now, there is another word that you may have heard of. It's called xenophobia. That means it's the fear and the hate of a stranger. Many atrocities in the world, especially in Africa, happens when people from other regions move into a country and the people in that area feels that these strangers are taking their jobs. They actually hunt them, kill them, they hate them, because they call that xenophobia. You, you want to get rid of the stranger. And I want you to know that I believe with all of my heart that uh, if we're not careful as a church, we, could, we too could become colonized and become xenophobic of people who don't believe what we believe, act like we act, dress like we dress. Because at the end of the day, listen, um, if we first tell somebody, you've got to agree with us before you can sit with us, it is not what Jesus modeled as the way to open your life to others. So there was a book written by Rosaria Butterfield that I want to encourage you to pick up and read. It's called, The Gospel Comes with House Keys. Now, think about that. The Gospel Comes with House Keys. Especially in the Western church, I, I remember living on my street and my neighbors got literally short of a fist fight because the one was mowing over the boundary line of the other. Right? Have you ever seen such stupidity in all your life? You want to mow over my boundary line? My boundary line's the other side of house. Mow away, baby. 
You know what I mean? I ain't losing. You can mow the heck out of my yard. But we have become so super possessive of our stuff, our house, our world. And I want you to know that that is not the way that the world will know the generous love of a God. Because what she is saying is this. The gospel with a house key turns strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family expressing the welcome of God to all through tangible acts of love and service, namely through giving food, shelter, and relationship. Come on, just say this word tangible. You, you know, how, do you, have you ever been in a place where uh, uh, you tell somebody something sad and they go like, I'll pray for you. And then you, you go like, you're such a liar. We say, I pray for you to matrix out of obligation of having to do something. Come on now. Turn to your neighbor and say, I know you've done that. I've done that. And then I feel guilty. Uh, they did it so much in the Bible that Jesus says, don't say to somebody you're going to pray for them. You're not going to pray for them. He says, how can you tell somebody that is cold and have no coat? I'm praying for you, God bless. That is not going to warm them up. Why don't you take off your coat and give it to them? In other words, Jesus taught tangible, tangible love. And that's why this book is so, so challenging. Now, Scripture in the New Testament has so many places where it commands the disciples and the church to be hospitable. Romans 12, 13 says, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always, come on, be eager to practice hospitality. Now, you go like, see, that's God's people. That's the church people. Now, remember, hospitality means love to the stranger. And I want to, maybe this is going to be better with music. I want to just drop something. I want you to know some of the hardest things is when we only love people that is like us. But I want you to know that God's people is every living human being on this vast planet because they carry the image and the likeness of God. I want to say this to you. There's not a single human being. I don't care what their orientation is, what their background is, what they have done. As I ministered into prison and I sit and I watch at the people that are there serving very long time, I want you to know they are God's people. They've messed up. We were just not caught. They messed up. But they are still God's people. For God so loved the world. The messed up world. Can I, can I say it again? The ones that you say, ooh, the messed up world that He gave His Son. Hebrews 13, 16 says, that Do not forget to do good and to share with others. Come on. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Come on, shout the word sacrifice. When last did it cost you something to practice your faith? When last did you have to get out of the boat and walk on the water? When last did you have to stop and give something that is of real value to you because you knew it was the right thing? When last did you have a story of doing the unthinkable because of the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Because you see, Disciples of Jesus works with the unction of God, the, that seven-second prompting of God. 
And there's always a sacrifice attached to following the prompting of the Holy Spirit because it comes with inconvenience and cost. But the Bible says with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Now, when I say hospitality, there's a big difference between hospitality and entertainment. Come on. How many of you in this place say, I love to entertain people in my home. Come on, just wave at me, you dang extroverts. What is wrong with you? Oh my gosh, when my wife says we're having people over, she makes a list. Oh dear God. She makes a list so long. By the time people come, I'm angry at everybody. <laughs> I sit around the table and she says, smile, smile. I go like, I can't, I, I'm a dead man. You make me clean in places that I don't even know exist because you, we've got to bring out the best. When the kids are small, you line them up and say, I swear is anything, I will beat you silly. You act right. You don't, you don't p p pick your nose. You eat that freaking broccoli. You act like you know what you're right. Yeah, because you want to impress with, hospital, uh, with, with entertainment. But let me tell you the difference. Entertainment is about performance on how you looked, how you act, how your house was, the kind of food, the kind of crystal, the kind of wine, where hospitality is about service. Do you know that Jesus invited people to the table and he was invited to the table, but wherever he sat at the table, he was serving others. He was never a guest. He was always looking for ways to be of service to others. Entertainment is sporadic. Uh, you put it on the calendar because you go like, oh, we're going to see this family at soccer and we've not had them over for four years and I can't face to look them in the eyes because they invited us two and a half years. So let's just invite them so I don't feel guilty, right? So it, it is these big planned things where hospitality is regular. It is actually the rhythmic thing of your life. It is, it, it is those divine collision where you meet somebody and out of the blue you go like, do you want to come to my house? I was sitting at a restaurant with a couple of friends and it's 12 o'clock, we are sitting outside, restaurants closed and the, 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 the person running the restaurant came and sat by us. I know him loosely and we began to talk about motorcycles and what he's doing and he's won an award and we talked about a little bit about faith and, and I looked at him and I said, hey, do you and your girlfriend wanna come and eat at our house? I really like you. He goes like, I would love that. I went home, I go like, by the way, that dude is coming. My wife says, that's ridiculous. Why would you put that obligation on him? I go like, baby, you know how to make four dishes really well. I think it's going to be fun, right? Because you know what you've got to understand, and we'll get to this. There is an anthropologist that says you've got to understand, and, and the time where Jesus was speaking about hospitality, it was not about food consumption because people are hungry. It was the markings of acceptance, friendship, invite, intimacy, grace. It was an extension of saying, I want you to sit around my table because I see good things in you. Let me tell you something else, entertainment. It's reciprocity, but hospitality is generosity. In other words, reciprocity means that uh, if you invite me now, I've got to invite you. Uh, but hospitality, I don't care what you give to me or do to me or invite me or not invite me. I want to be with you. 
comes out of a spirit of generosity. That's why I want to look in this camera and just say, church, generosity is not something you choose in a moment. It's something you practice every day of your life. And that's why when you're at a restaurant, I beg you, just break that stronghold of trying to get everything for free and be the first to pay. Because in that moment, when you begin to practice generosity, it will go from your pocketbook to your heart, to your life, to your love. It will go to everything. And I want you to know that God is a generous God. If He wasn't, we would not be here. Let me give you one more. Entertainment is about social layering. In other words, the way that I get up in social standing is I invite people who knows richer people, more influential people, and hopefully they'll invite me and I'll get to hang and, and get up in life. But hospitality is about justice for the outcast. Can I say this? Why do I say, can I say this? I've got the mic. I can say whatever, right? Listen, it is not about the poor and the drunk on the street only. Do you know there's people with bank accounts? There's people that works with you that are outcast from the place of life? Do you know, I, I was speaking to somebody who was very affluential and I, and I said to him, hey, how's friendships? He says, I can have no friends because everybody wants something from me. That has been an outcast with your riches. Jesus says, when you invite, don't invite the people that can further what you want. Invite those that is not invitable in your world. Invite them because you see, last one, entertainment is about social ladder, but hospitality is about downward spirituality. And that doesn't mean the spirituality goes downward. That means I am here to serve you in order for my life to be open because the only thing you and I hold is the testimony of what God has done in us. And that testimony is very powerful. Now, there is a story in the Bible, and by the way, this is Jesus, and there's a man, man in the tree. So I want you to hear the story. You say, I know the story. I didn't come all this way to hear the story of Zacchaeus. Surprise! Jesus was walking into this village. A lot of admirers followed him. A lot of people were looking to get close to him because they wanted something from him. But this guy, Zacchaeus, which we believe was short, go Zacchaeus. He was short and rich. Rich people don't climb trees. Neither do short people, just so you know. But he realized that Jesus came and he heard about all that Jesus did. He climbed into a tree. And you know, when Jesus was walking down the street, all the people that wanted something from Jesus and admired him was clamoring him. But Jesus was about to model to the Father's House Church family how we open our lives to others. Jesus walked to the tree and looked at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a lowlife. He betrayed his own people. He was a Jew siding with the Roman Empire, collecting, bribing, and extorting money from his own people. 
Zacchaeus is the kind of person that you don't want to be around with. He's a low life. And Jesus looked at the low life and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to come have dinner at your house tonight. <laughs> See what scripture says. Come read with me. When the people saw this, who are the people? These are the people that think that they are religious enough, upright enough, living clean lives enough. On the moral ladder, if God has got to answer anybody, they deserve it first. The people saw this, they all began to complain. He said, he has gone into the, to be a guest of a man who is a what? Another translation says, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and notorious sinners? Uh, let me explain this to you. Any low-life man with a lot of money will always have a lot of women around of reputation. So Zacchaeus invited all his friends, and the house was filled with tax collectors and prostitutes. One scholar says this, Jesus sat with the deplorables. Let me ask you this. Who are the deplorables in our world that you say, I will not be catch a, caught alive sitting around the table with that person. Let me ask you. If I'm invited to that and that kind of person is there, I ain't going. Well, our rabbi Jesus, he realized opening his life to the people that we cancel and dismiss was the way that God could soften their hearts and transform their lives. Church, let me look at this camera and tell you the best way I know. Pointing your finger, saying derogatory things and mean things and telling people they are sinners doesn't change their life to become good, obedient people. I cannot change any life only God has the power to change people. All I can do is what God did for me. He made room for me at His table. When I was a deplorable, God made room for me. So I was preaching at a church out of state. And I always have some interesting things happen often when I'm preaching. I don't know why God has such a beautiful sense of humor. Maybe I invoke it. I don't know. I was preaching. The church had about 2,000 people in attendance, four services on a Sunday, large church. And as I was preaching, my eye caught a woman right in the back, and she began to walk slowly. It's in the middle of the message. Have you ever spoken to people, but you talk to yourself in your head and you go like, please find a seat, please find a seat, please find a seat, please find a seat. And she's coming. And then I go like, you're going to spoil the whole thing, lady. Find a seat. And she's coming. And I go like, where's the security? 
Security, she's killing the service. She's come. And I began to see she's weeping. Now I go like, oh, please, God, don't let security tackle her. Please, 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 please. No one is moving. I realize that now it's up to me. So I got off the stage, Ernie, and I started to walk as close as you and I are. And it didn't take me two steps to smell. If I lit a match, the building would have exploded. She was reeking of alcohol. And all I could hear her say is, my baby, my baby, my baby. And that moment I walked to her and I grabbed her arm. I looked her in the eyes and said, it's okay, just stay with me. I'm not being a saint in that moment because I was hoping for security to catch her back there. I'm standing, said, it's okay. I kept preaching. And all I could hear is my baby, my baby. I finished my message short. And I looked at her and said, what's going on? This beautiful African-American lady said to me, I gave birth last night. The baby was stillborn. And they discharged me after two hours. So I got in my car and all I could do is drink and drink and drink. And I thought the only place of hope could be a church. In the church we know and the church we love, would we stop the broken at the door? Would we stop those who look different, believe different, who is angry, distressed, or could we be a place where everybody stands up to come to the aid of those who are broken and needy? Because I'm sad to say that in most churches, they may not be welcome. I'm sad to say in many churches, people have to call and say, do you allow a person like me? Can I say this? The Father's House Church community can never have the right to declare who can and who cannot come in because there's room for you. There's room for me. And as your pastor, if the temple's going to throw me out, then I've got to find a shack where there's room at the table. Because if I don't, I've become the Pharisees. I've become that very thing because you see what is so interesting. Jesus' life was disorienting and disturbing to the status quo. He was. I preached the same message in January. I had 19 one-on-one -on -one meetings where people felt that I'm compromising and saying that sin is okay. It was so hard for me. But everyone that sat in my office were beautiful people that I personally knew and I deeply loved. And, and they gave me the beautiful wrestle 
to come to a deeper conclusion that I think that we have become the status quo and that God wants to open our lives to understand. I wrote a master's paper on the collision of can I sit around people who oppose what I believe. Because I felt if I sit with you, I agree with you. And to my shame, when I look at this, I wasted a master's paper wrestling my own stupidity. How can you not sit with image bearers of God? It doesn't mean you agree. It doesn't mean you join in. But the grace of God is the only thing that transforms, but love invites. Love puts the boundary marker on that says, I see in you what God sees in you. I may not understand your choices. I may not understand your life, but I am going to stand and I'm okay to be misunderstood. When I stand with you, whatever flag you carry, I'm not standing with your ideology. I'm standing with your humanity. So tax collectors and prostitutes, they were the lowest, lowest on the moral ladder of decency. Jesus was accused that he was a drunk and a glutton. He ate with tax collectors and prostitutes. Listen, the amount of times that Jesus ate with people. Listen, I want you to read this. A New Testament scholar wrote this. Jesus was chosen. Jesus, you've got to help me. I'm dyslexic here. Jesus wasn't just eating food and drinking wine. He was forming a new humanity, the new kind of front line of God's kingdom, of God that is to live now, what one day will become true of all the world. It comes as no surprise. Every time Jesus ate with people, it was the new front line of God and people around the table. So there was this woman in the Bible, and then I'm going to finish this up. Worship teams, you can get ready. Jesus went to the house of a religious leader. His name was Simon in the book of Luke. Simon memorized the Torah. He obeyed the laws. He gave. He helped the poor. He prayed. He obeyed everything, and in his own eyes, he had moral authority as a righteous man. He invited Jesus, and I love Jesus. He doesn't only sit with sinners. He sits with saints to help him see their saintiness that isn't always helpful. And so... Jesus was sitting in conversation with Simon. The door, door burst open, and the Bible says a notorious prostitute in the city burst through the door. Thank God I don't know no notorious prostitutes, so if that ever happens, I'm clueless, just so you know. 
And she took what was most precious to her industry. She had with her an alabaster jar of perfume that was so expensive it cost a whole year's of wages. In other words, she was a high-end Hochimama. She poured that perfume on the feet of Jesus. In other words, that which guarantees her future client, she poured on the feet of Jesus. Tears were streaming down her face and she took her hair. It was not allowed for women to show their hair. She shamedly washed Jesus' feet and Simon said, if he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. Have you ever sat next to something and go like, can't you see what kind of person this is? That's saintly. It's not righteous. And Jesus said this. Let me tell you a story, Simon. There were two men. One uh, owed his master a million dollars. The other one owed him exactly 55. He could have been most the money. But the master is so gracious. He looked at both of them and said, I'm going to forgive you your 55, and I'm going to forgive you your million. He says, who of the two is going to be more thankful? He says, oh, the million. Because the debt is big. He turns to this woman and he says this, hey, her sins were many. That's why she loves so deep. And apparently, you think your sins are little. That's why you love little. Ooh. Turn to neighbor and say, it's going to be very revealing in the next four minutes. And I want you to know as I'm sitting here, standing as a matter of fact, I'm not preaching at you because the gospel confronts us all. The gospel confronts me. The gospel confronts me because, listen, Timothy Keller, profound teacher, he makes these statements. As long as we think we are not that bad, the idea of costly grace will never change us. Have you ever thought, I wasn't a bad person? I paid my debt paid the IRS, never cheated on my wife, raised my kids, I have money, I changed my oil, I never cheat in golf. So I'm a good person. So Jesus came and he like dusted me off. If that's what you think, that's who you are before Jesus changed you, costly grace to you means nothing. And I want to say this, until you understand the state you were in when Christ really found you, you will have no love for those with debt. Listen, when we grasp that we are unworthy sinners saved by an infinitely costly grace, it destroys both our self-righteousness and our need to ridicule others. The moment you and I can point fingers and judge, we are forgetting our own sinfulness. The moment we point at other people, we forget what we were before God found us. He goes on and he says, those who understand the gospel cannot possibly look down at anyone. Since we were saved by sheer grace, not by our perfect doctrine, not by our strong moral character. It is the grace of God that came to us. And maybe that's why David says, 
Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Because this man stood in front of God. And he tried to morally pad himself. And God says, let me tell you what I see. Wretched man, anemic in heart. Your sin is not just you're a bad boy. It's rebellion against my love. Church, love, the grace of God is so costly. It took the life of Jesus to bring it to us. And when we understand our debt that has been eliminated, we will begin to extend graciousness and love to others with debt. You say, Pastor P, where are you taking this? You see, Jesus came to pay the insurmountable pen penalty for our sinfulness so that through faith in Christ Jesus, we can be reconciled back to the love and the heart of our Father through faith and not through works. Can I hear an amen on that? By living a rhythmic way of life, of downward spirituality, opening your life and homes and church family to everyone and anyone, even to those you would consider notorious sinners. Through that, the love of God will find them, rescue them, save them. So, what is the bottom line? Let's put away the pointing of our fingers. Let's put away the judgments of our heart. That doesn't mean I agree. That doesn't mean I condone. Because the Word of God confronts the subtle white sins in me the same way it confronts this character of the same sin in others. But until we revisit where God found us, we can never love like Jesus loved.